This is Hardcore Podcast. You just heard Last Wishes. The track is Loyalty. It's coming off the upcoming debut full-length Organized Hate. That's dropping at the end of this month, April 29th, on Days and the Coming Strife. You get your CD pre-orders and shirts available now at daze-style.com. That's Days Style. Lumpy has dropped some tracks on this podcast early on. Love seeing him in my inbox sending us new tracks. The guys from Broken Teeth over the pond in England. This is the new shit they got coming out. Anyone who checked out Broken Teeth, this is hardcore years back. Tell the band was pretty fucking sick. Glad to see they got some new stuff going. Mad shout out to all the bands in the UK and Europe in general. We don't really get as many of them on the show, so we're always happy to do it. Always happy to support a record label like Dave's Style. So thank you for sending it in, and please check this out April 29th and support this band. Man, tonight is going to be something wild. We got fucking Integrity playing at Phoenixville. I, I hope for those who are listening early in the morning, this show and what I talk about turns you on the running out and seeing the show. So tonight, 7 p.m., the Polish Club, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, which is just outside of Philadelphia. We got Integrity. We got Age of Apocalypse, Savage Mystic. This is going to be a wild show. You're going to kick yourself if you don't see it. Make sure you get your ass out there. While we're talking about Philly shows, do not miss out the next couple weeks. Nothing but crazy shows, but really also wanted to give a shout-out to Chris Mahmood, as I said last week, Club Reverb. They've got Knock Loose. This is part of their Tear in the Fabric of Life tour. The band Movements, Kubikon, and Koyo, all bands who have played Philadelphia recently. This is Wednesday. I believe it's Wednesday. 
Yeah, it has to be Wednesday because Friday is the 8th. Wednesday, April 6th at Club Reverb in Reading. You should get your tickets now because they're getting close to selling out. And I'm telling you what, Club Reverb is going to be wild for this night. Make sure you support Chris Mahmood, Club Reverb's part of the Trinity Presents. PA hardcore fucking legend doing this shit a long time, running one of the most successful independent venues in the entire country. This is not semantics. This is factual. He's gotten awards for it. Support real hardcore people and their big dreams. Club Reverb's awesome. The home of Keystone Hardcore Jam, which we're doing a holiday special October 29th. Stay tuned. Big things coming that way. So April 8th, Zababa coming here. This is called the 15 Years of Fear. Band's been around now. Still the best. If you're supporting all the Sanguish Kebab and Undeath and Creeping Death, remember who brought you to it. It was Zababa, baby. Their shit's fucking fire. This show's even more wild because it's Zababa, Death Before Dishonor, Cruel Hand, Year of the Knife, Buried Dreams, and Missing Link. You can't miss that fucking show. And what's more crazy about this show is this is the Friday, the next day, Polish Club, baby, running it back. The Gridiron Record Release Party. The record already deemed the album of the year by so many. The hardest record of 2022. Gridiron. Boyertown and Detroit. Two weird things mixed together with a little bit of Delaware. And you got Gridiron. You heard the track No Good at Goodbyes earlier on the um, podcast. This is a record release party featuring Tsunami. That's right. From the Bay. First time out this way. Queensway from Baltimore, Division of Mind from Richmond, Virginia, Invoke from North Carolina, and that beautiful son of a bitch, Zach Barone from Philly, Kyle Lifeless, Chris Mahmood. That's a great way to start with Carry by Six. I'm telling you, don't stop. We got shows all this time, man. Make sure you're checking out phillyhcshows.com. Tons of shows. Make sure you check out Desolated of Born Anew, these streets at the Polish Club at the end of April 29th. The next day, boom, or two days ahead, rather, you got the Bob Wilson sold-out gold show. It's a matinee at the church. Not going to want to fucking miss it. Also, old heads, young guys, you know the deal. Agnostic Front, sick of it all, at the new Brooklyn Bowl in Philadelphia, right next to the Fillmore. It's going to be a wild show. Agnostic Front, sick of it all, crown of thorns. This is Thursday, May 12th. May 14, May 15 is the Earth Crisis, Snapcase, Strife, California Takeover shows. Those are sold out. Then this Monday after, so we're running on four shows straight. May 16, Terror, Kublai Khan, Sanguisugabog is the right way to say the name. Pain of Truth, Shackled at the Church. And then probably one of the best shows I think I've ever got to be able to have a chance to have a hand in. Exploited. The Cro-Mags featuring Harley Flanagan, Total Chaos, at the fucking church. I can't even believe that's a show. we got so many more coming too. PhillyHGShows.com, all your info, all your ticket links, fucking be there. Alright? So, Saturday was something special. You've heard Carter, you've heard Bob. Today you're going to hear Lennon Livesay from South Florida, now a Philadelphia hardcore resident. Guy's been in an amazing amount of bands. Such a short time. This is the guy that people don't really hear a lot of from or hear a lot about, but you know his bands. Losing It, Blistered, Eco Strike, Carbonite's the new band from Philly. 
plays in off the tracks with Bob. He's all, he's got a lot of shit, man. It's fucking fantastic. And um, the From Within Records showcase, which we talked about, which Carter Record we handled on an earlier podcast earlier this year. This was their showcase, and the crowning gem in it was the last show of Eco Strike. If you were there, you saw it. If you weren't, we for Hape Side Six. Something special. But there's something special in Lennon. His story's fucking fantastic. He's a great person who adds a lot to hardcore, has a huge heart, and he's still so young, man. There's still so much going to come out of this kid. So I wanted to get someone who's young, talented, who's got a vibrant idea of what he loves about hardcore and just put him up on the podcast. Like I said, we try to get back to more of these interviews, more of this time that I have is uh, getting smaller and smaller. But we fit this one in. Thanks to Lennon for coming on the show. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Check it the fuck out. Today we have someone who has been building up the fury of fucking hardcore in Southern Florida for quite some time. This is a guy who, I got to tell you, I think any band he could fucking be in. If it's a polka band, uh, (laughs) uh, if he he started doing fucking uh, composing symphonies, he'd be great at it. This is my man, Lennon Livesey, not only from Eco Strike, but Blistered. The dude's got the new band representing Philadelphia and Carbonite. And um, I'm just happy to welcome Lennon as a Philadelphia hardcore kid to our show. Yeah. What's up, Joe? How's it going? Hey, man. Um, I know here. we were trying to get this together. I know we were trying to get this together beforehand, but I think when we start talking about Eco Strike now as a past from the present thing, it'll be kind of cooler. But um, sure, you yeah, listen to this podcast before, show. yeah. So you listen to this podcast before. You know the deal. I I I want you to take it back as far as you can remember. How you grew up? What kind of music was in your house at that time? Um. So my dad is a career musician. He's a blues guitar player, and he's like a singer songwriter. So I grew up around music. He he taught me. He imparted to me when I was like super young that he wanted me to play music when i was four i four or five i started playing piano um i played like classical piano for probably till i was like 11 or 12 at which point i was like yeah this this is goofy i want to play guitar i want to play drums so played piano first and and got into playing guitar and drums after that um but as far as just the music that i heard around my dad just listened to a lot of like just like classic rock and blues and stuff like that um obviously my dad's a big Beatles fan um I'm named after a Beatles so it's pretty that was around me from an early age um and it was cool because when I started playing music and I started you know like just like hanging out with like neighborhood kids and playing like whatever music we were like you know 12 12 or 13 years old my dad was there to just be like you know even if we were like we were like listening to like you know shitty like shitty ass like skate punk bands at the time and like that's what we were trying to do and my dad didn't really understand the music at all but he taught us shit about how to you know tune our guitars how to set up our amps how to like you know how to practice as a band and you know how to tune drums how to do shit like that so it was like i feel like i got a leg up in the sense that i've just been around a musician from a young age so he taught me how to do those things so you just literally unlocked the entire key to everything I knew about your talent in a single thing. And I'm fucking, <laughs> I was going to be weird and ask you if you were named after John Lennon, but I was like, you never know, man. And, um, yeah, 
So let's break this a little bit further down. I mean, you kind of yada yada it over. So what do you think the first age you touched an instrument was? Uh, I mean, I started playing piano at four or five. So that was the first, the first God time bless. I ever sat down on an instrument. But I mean, that's what I remember. There's, there's pictures. My dad has like pictures of me as like a two or three year old sitting behind a drum kit. Just like, I'm sure just, you know, banging the shit out of the drums. Not, no, like literally half the size of not able to reach the kick pedal. But, um, the first thing I remember was being four or five and, and playing piano. And my dad just telling me, if you can learn how to play piano, you will be able to play any instrument you want to play for the rest of your life. So he started me with piano first. So, Do you remember how you felt the first time you heard a song and wanted to learn how to play it? Uh, yeah. Um, the first song that I ever learned that I wanted to play was, um, like I said, my, my dad was a huge Beatles fan, so there was always – Beatles shit around my house and Beatles music being played in my house. And, uh, there were a couple Beatles songs that I remember. I don't remember which one necessarily specifically, but I remember hearing a couple Beatles songs that I wanted to learn. And my dad went out and bought me this, uh, like Beatles, uh, it was like sheet music, like a Beatles sheet music book. And I learned, like, I learned the whole thing in like a, a week and was like, all right, I need, I need more of this. And my dad was like, yeah, the Beatles songs are, you're probably a little bit beyond that if this is the case. So, so that's when he started getting me classical sheet music. I started playing like classical piano. So what school were you going to at that time? What was school like as you're starting to be exposed to playing music? Um, well, I was in elementary school when I started playing piano, but like when I started playing music with other people, like, I guess when I started getting into writing my own music and like playing music in like a band setting. It was when I was in middle school. Um, and it was cool. I mean, I feel like I have a similar, like similar kind of like middle school, high school experience to like most people who are into hardcore, which is just like, I don't know. I thought, I thought, I thought everybody was like a weirdo. And then I met, I realized I was probably the weirdo. I didn't really feel like I fit in with anybody. And then I met like, you know, a handful of other kids who were like also kind of weirdos. And, um, that's kind of how I started bonding with them. I like, I feel like my first like bands that I played in were like, I was like the only one who could actually play my instrument. And I was just like, well, you guys are like into, you are the only other like three or four kids at my school who are into like, you know, the weird music shit that I'm into. So here, here's a bass, here's a guitar, just figure it out. And, uh, kind of just went from there. But yeah, being, being in middle school and being around, like, I feel like that kind of, set me up early for like eventually getting into hardcore where it's like, you know, hardcore shit is simple and easy to play. And like, it's, it's not necessarily about being technically proficient as a musician, as you know, a requirement to be in like a good hardcore band. So I feel like being around my friends who I just wanted them to play music with me because they were my friends and they were the only other, you know, like kind of weird kids who like the same shit as me, even though they weren't necessarily good musicians. So. When you think about that time period, and I know you mentioned when we first started playing skate punks, was the first stuff you were playing with your friends skate punk music, or was there music you were playing before you guys started playing with like punk stuff? Um, I mean, when we first like started hanging out in my neighborhood, it, and like it was like my neighborhood and and school friends, and we were hanging out playing like we were like 
listening to like listening to like lag wagon and like no use for a name and stuff like that and like no effects um and then you know some of the kids in the neighborhood got in were like listening to like more metal stuff and they would show up with like you know like metallica cds and then there would be like the kids in the neighborhood who were into like emo shit and they were like you know they would bring over you know like taking back sunday cds or fucking like get up kids or like whatever and at the time it was sort of just like well you know this is all the same shit to me you know it's like i i everybody around me listens to just like whatever radio music there is so like even though you know this shit that you're bringing over and showing me is not necessarily like what my what i'm into on my own it's it's the same shit because it's not you know the radio music that like the regular kids at my school are listening to. So it was sort of this, like we would just hang out in my garage and like learn to play like whatever random cover songs. And some of it was like Metallica. And then some of it was like, you know, just like punk stuff. And it was just like, it was just kind of like a mishmash of everything. That's also, I think the younger you get involved with playing music as a team, it really mm-hmm. teaches well because there's some players that develop solo. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to break someone of getting used to playing alone versus when you sure. start playing with a team. And I think the people who jam early with their friends on covers, not only are they learning songs that are kind of like give you the formula if you want to write a similar song, but it also gives you the formula to how to play as an act. And um, yeah, when I think about young guys doing – and never – I never criticize what a band person's first music they're playing is because it's obviously the building block to what they would go on. And it's also interesting to hear when people are exposed to punk at a young age, metal at a young age. And um, I imagine even though like you had now mentioned your, your father being not really from that world, but he had to be excited for you that you were playing music in a band fashion, right? Yeah, he didn't give a shit what it was. He was just happy that I was playing anything. And even if it was stuff that he didn't get, he was like, he was always like, my dad would take me to shows when I was like, really, when I was like, you know, I remember being probably 10, 10 or 11. And my dad taking me to see, uh, see Newfound Glory. Cause they were like, and I, at the time had never heard the band of from Florida, Glory, right? Yeah. They're from my town. And so my dad was just like, oh, this is like, you know, a he heard it and, and read about it somewhere. And he was like, Oh, this is a punk band from, from, you know, my, my, our town. Like, let me take, let me take Lennon to go see him just cause he might be something he was into. So he took me to see him and like, he would do shit like that all the time. He was very like, he would hear like, Oh, I guess this is just like, you know, cool music that like, he would bring me home CDs all the time just cause he heard about him from somebody or read about it. And I don't know, Damn, Rolling yeah, Stone or whatever. Cool so, father, man. Yeah. My dad's the shit, man. He's awesome. Dude, shout out to Lennon's dad for putting him on the shit. Fuck, that's cool. Actually, I'm yeah. glad that you answered that question because that was going to be my next thing. How early you were exposed to live music. So I'm glad that you got to that. And I'll, yeah. can you remember what your thought process was going from listening to some of these like punk bands actually being in the presence of a punk show? I mean, so like the first, before I ever saw any like, you know, the like kind of shitty pop punk and like punk that I was listening to at the time before I saw any of those bands, the first shows that I went to were to go see my dad's band play where it was like seeing my dad's band play was like, 
cool. You know, he played in like a, like I said, like singer songwriter, like, like blues rock kind of stuff. And then, so I kind of had that understanding of like what seeing a band live was like, they kind of just are up there. They play the songs. It sounds like, you know, how it sounds on the record. And then going to see bands that were like, you know, when I started kind of developing my own interests or my dad started trying to take me to see stuff that he thought I might like, like, you know, Newfound Glory or whatever shit like that. The first thing I noticed was like, oh, this sounds pretty shitty compared to how it sounds on the record. But the energy is there and it's cool anyways. And I feel like that was, that was the first time I ever had that thought of, of like, you know, cause before you're seeing, like, I'm, like I said, I'm seeing my dad playing these like blues rock bands where like, they're not like jumping around on stage. They're not really moving very much. And it sounds exactly how it sounds on the record. So that was just like this mind blowing, like kind of changed my whole world where I was like, Oh, sounding like it sounds, it's playing everything exactly perfect. And how it sounds on the record is not the priority for some of these bands. And that was like that moment for me. It's still awesome to see the uh, immediate exposure to live music because I can recall pretty much around the same age seeing that kind of stuff. And Mm. it's such an interesting thing to watch people play instruments. We kind of take it for granted, obviously, because, you know, we're both in the shows. But at a young age, seeing people play music live is pretty interesting as a general. Um, What kind of in school, what kind of was there any kind of like push towards music and arts? At your school, or is it basically pretty just common, no special music classes or anything like that? I mean, there was like, there was like, you know, like marching band and shit like that. But like, and I had some friends who did marching band, but by the time, and I, and I remember in marching band, them being like trying to get me to, I remember, so when I was in middle school, I was in band class. It wasn't marching band, but it was regular band class. Cause I was like, Oh, I get to play drums. And the thing in my middle school was that if you took band class, you didn't have to take gym. And I remember being in middle school and being like, Oh, okay. I don't have to take gym. I don't have to worry about, you know, getting sweaty and bringing a change of clothes and I get to play drums. So I'd much rather do that. And then them trying it when I got to high school, the, the, the high school, the like high school that was next to my middle school, the band program guys, like the band director, they all came over and were trying to like, you know, suss people out and kind of recruit people to be in the marching band. And I specifically remember being like, at that time, even being 13 and I was already trying to start my own bands being like, yeah, I don't want to do that because I don't want to, that's going to take up all my time. And I want to have time to like, you know, play the music that I want to play. So, so there were, I guess it was there. I just kind of wasn't really paying attention to that, like push towards like music and arts. Cause I was just at that point, I was already just kind of worrying about doing my own shit outside of school. So. No, I think, um, especially with the band stuff, sometimes, uh, like marching band or the, the, the big band, it doesn't give you the same vibe as like when you're thinking about starting your own band. And I remember yeah, getting taught percussion instruments. I ended up just being in the AV club, setting up the PA and stuff. Cause I was like, I ain't playing in no fucking band with these people. <laughs> so I can, yeah. I can relate a little bit now. Um, the, yeah, it was just like one of those the things thing that I think about where I was like, I was saying the thing that I think about when you're in high school or this is middle school still, or at this age, cause you're not going to high school. Are you starting mm-hmm. to like, I mean, you're not, you're not like a heavy neck tattooed, weird looking guy. 
pretty standard looking guy there, Lennon, you know, attractive young man, but uh, you're not really like a, like a punk rock, ostentatious looking person. Is that kind of how you were in school too? Or when you were younger, were you a little bit more flashy and like, fuck it, I listen to this stuff? Like, did you have any kind of run-ins with kids who were not really into the same kind of music as you? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, when I was in middle school, I actually got suspended from school for dyeing my hair blue. And then they pulled me into the principal's office and they were like, does your mom know you did this? And I was like, yeah, my mom's the one that did it. And they didn't believe me. So they called my mom, my mom and dad came in and my dad basically like threatened to beat the shit out of the principal and was like, he was like, if you can find the rule in the rule book that says he can't have blue hair, I will take him home and I will shave his fucking head right now. But until then, you're going to put my son back in class or I'm basically like, I'm going to fuck you up. And they were like, they were like, okay, yeah. So, I mean, my parents were like, it was, I don't know. I, I, I had like dyed my hair weird colors and wore fucking weird clothes and shit and 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 definitely people thought it was weird but it was never a thing like I was doing it to like rebel against my parents because they didn't care they they were like cool about it I just did it because I was just like I just like doing it I don't know no it's cool I think um I like once again pop stepping in I think the, mm. uh, the world would do better with a lot more uh dads like Lennon's dad to be honest now yeah, this is in South Florida, right? You, this is like Pembroke. Uh, what do they call that? Pembroke Pine, Florida. Pine, yeah, yeah, Pembroke Pines. It's like a yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's a suburb of Fort Lauderdale, but it's right between. It's like equidistant from Miami and Fort Lauderdale. It's like right in the middle. Home of John Wiley and Eulogy Records, or not home, but close to home for my boy John Wiley and Eulogy Records. Did any of yeah, that super stuff? Close. Broward, uh, Broward County. Yeah, that's the name of the town. I remember we used to go to this, uh, this like arcade, and we would meet up before any show. We would play with John. We'd go hang out at this arcade all day. It was fucking awesome. Yeah. So when do you start? Whether I mean, what are we talking about? You're twelve, thirteen now. So how soon did you start getting the itch to go to shows, or when did you get the itch to play shows? Which came first? So. I played at this I, – I had at this point been in like this – like we were – I was just like in random bands in middle school with my friends and um, we would play at like like pool parties and shit like in our neighborhood. And at that point, I was like – we were like, oh, this is the coolest fucking thing ever, you know, just like playing to like 30 kids in our neighborhood. But we were like, yeah, we want to like actually play somewhere that's like like a like a – actual show you know we we really wanted to do it but we didn't really know how to do it we didn't really know much about it and then um we found there was this venue called the talent farm in pembroke pines um it was in my town and it was weird because it was like a place that was like kind of in the middle of nowhere it was like you take this road that cuts right through the middle of pembroke pines all the way out to the everglades so it hits us 27 which is the highway where on one side of it you have the end of pembroke pines as a city and the other side you have where Everglades Preserve starts, where they're not allowed to build anything. So you're kind of like out at the end of civilization. Like you look across the high the road and it's just swamp for, you know, as far as the eye can see, there's nothing there. And it was this weird like warehouse that this dude had bought and converted into a venue where he was just basically like doing all ages shows, doing like whatever. It, he would do like rap shows. He would do like metal shows he would do pop punk shows he would do emo shows like whatever 
Um, and our band started playing there and he would let us come and practice. He would let us come if we wanted to like two hours before uh, the show started and like set up on the house equipment and like practice. And it just became this thing where it was just like this dude, he was just this dude who just like loved music and just wanted to like, you know, support like people playing like young kids playing music and give them an opportunity to do that. And eventually that place became the spot for hardcore shows like some years later. But me and my friends were going and hanging out there and playing shows there like long before we ever had any idea what hardcore was at all. So now what do you, what was your expectations and like, how did that feel? And then like, where did you go from there? I mean, it was just like, it, it became this sort of like, I mean, playing live was like the, it was like the craziest rush ever at the time, you know? I mean, I think the first, the first show that we ever played there that wasn't like, you know, uh, the first show I ever played there that it wasn't a show that was like a pool party or someone's birthday party or something. It was like all these, like, it was just other local bands. And, and it was the first time I played for more than like 30 people. And there was like actually probably like a hundred kids at the time, which felt like, you know, I was playing in front of fucking 10,000 people and it felt like the most insane thing in the world. Um, and the show was cool. And like, I think at the end he like, he paid us, I don't know, probably paid us like 50 bucks. And I was just like, I mean, I was 13 at the time or 14 being like, you know, 50 bucks to like a 13 year old kid seems like a lot of money, especially getting handed 50 bucks to do this thing that I was like, wanted to do anyways. And it was like all I wanted to do. And it, it felt insane. And then, so we thought it was so cool that he like paid us to play and that he let it, we had the spot to play. And we started playing there all the fucking time. This dude would let like, he, he would do shows there all the fucking time. And uh, we became like good friends with the guy who owned it. This dude named Kevin Burns. Um, he was the man. And like I said, he ended up being kind of it, like an integral part of South Florida hardcore for a while through that venue. So Shout out to Kevin Burns. He's the man. What other shows were happening besides yours? What were shows that you were getting hip to from playing there? Give me the rundown of what's going on there. So, like I said, it was like a lot of like, it was like a lot of, um, he was doing all kinds of shows. There. It was like rap shows, metal shows, whatever. But the shows that me and my friends were going to were mostly like pop punk shows. Um, we were at that point, like by the time I was like 13, 14, I was like really into stuff like, um, you know, taking back Sunday and like, I don't know, like, um, like fallout boy and shit like that. That was like what me and my friends were really into when I, I guess I was like an eighth grade at that point, eighth get going into ninth grade. Um, so there was like a lot of stuff like that. And there was like a big scene for that stuff in Miami specifically. And so like a lot of those bands would come from Miami, you know, 30 minutes, or 40 minutes and come play. And, and it became like that spot became like kind of a destination for, for bands to play. I think a, a big part of it was because it w it was so suburban and it wasn't like, and it was like kids from the suburbs could go there and like hang out there. And it was literally like, you know, like there are like venues in Miami that like, you know, places like Churchill's, which is like, I think still there now. And they've done like hardcore shows at Churchill's forever and punk shows and whatever. And, Venues in Fort Lauderdale too, where it's like the average like suburban middle class like twelve year old kids like parents are not gonna just like 
drop them off at this fucking sketchy ass fucking venue in Miami um, or in Fort Lauderdale. So it was like this place that was like kind of like seemed safe, you know what I mean? To like people's parents, like kids my age's parents. So like I remember like there were a couple times when like my bands would try to play shows at other places and like my 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 friends who would come to all of our shows when we would play at this place, the talent farm in Pembroke Pines, they would be like, Yeah, my mom's not gonna drive me 35 minutes and drop me off in Miami. No way. Like it's not gonna happen. But um it it was just like this convenient and like easy and safe place for like young kids to like go see shows at. And I think it it because of that just became like a destination. So bands from like West Palm Beach and bands from Miami started like traveling to play at this place. And so I feel like now was like I said, that was like my backyard venue it was in my town. It was like 10 minutes from my house. And I was there every weekend. At that point, I was just going to whatever shows. I didn't give a shit what it was. I just wanted to be there and be at the venue hanging out where my friends were there and like being around bands and like around shows. So I would go, I would go pretty much any given night like on a weekend, even if I didn't know what the show was, I would just show up and just go. Now, at what point do you think, and I, and I don't, I never know how to ask this question, right? Because there's so mm-hmm. many things going on at once in this like formidable time when you're growing. And this is of every guest, not just you. Mm-hmm. What point do you think you kind of declared yourself? Like I'm a hardcore kid. Like I'm not like, you know, like at what point did the hardcore punk part, completely take over and also like when did you become more cognizant not only that your focus was on hardcore or that you um that there was a bigger scene and like if you ever even started thinking about older bands and what you first found like let me know like when you start really identifying as a hardcore person sure sure yeah so i mean the first time i ever heard hardcore at all was i was you know at the time like i said i was listening to shit like taking back sunday and a lot of those bands were on victory. So I was buying CD. I was buying like Thursday CDs and like, um, just like shit like that. And th- th- those CDs would come with samplers, um, that had, you know, like a- at that point it was like DVD sampler. So it was music videos. And the first time I ever heard anything that I, you know, I didn't realize it was hardcore at the time, but I was like, Oh, this is like, this is different. This is like really crazy. Was, uh, the comeback kid wake the dead music video. Um, and I remember hearing that and just being like, oh, this is insane. This is like really fast and like what is going on? And it had like live footage in it. And I was like, there's like, you know, like this is just crazy. Um, and so me and uh, a couple of my friends at the time were like, all right, we need to find more shit like this. So we ended up finding like, we discovered like Bane, we discovered like a couple other bands, but I didn't really realize at the time that that was like what it was. I didn't really realize, you know, I didn't put two and two together and be like, Oh, this is hardcore. This is like a separate thing. I was just like, Oh, these are just like other bands that are kind of in the same, I guess in the same world as the stuff I was listening to. But like, I just thought there was something about them that kind of stuck out to me. And then, um, my dad's, my dad had a really good friend whose son was like three or four years older than me. And he played in a bunch of like local South Florida hardcore bands. And he would come over he would just be like, you know, going somewhere with his dad and his dad would stop by my house every now and then just to say what's up to my dad. And this dude, his name's Peter. This dude, Peter would be there. And one day I think he came over and I must've been listening to Bane or comeback hit or something. And he was like, he was like a hardcore kid. He was like going to hardcore shows. Like I said, he was, he was probably like, I was probably like 13 and he was probably like 17 or 18 at the time. 
and he he came in and he was like dude what the fuck are you listening to like are you like listening to like comeback kid or bane or whatever like you like hardcore and i'll be like i i don't know i don't know what that is but yeah i like this so he started showing me stuff he showed me um he did i remember he showed me like he was showing me like south florida stuff at the time which was like stuff like know the score um which it eventually was like the first hardcore show that I ever went to was another score show um and he Fuck showed yeah, me like those are my boys yeah dude know the score is the fucking shit that's still to this day one of my favorite south florida bands ever um amazing fucking band but uh yeah he and he was showing me stuff like have heart too cuz like you know this was like uh trying to think of what year it was i mean i was like i said i was 13 or 14 so he probably was showing me this stuff in like like 2007 yeah probably like 2007 or 2006 and he was showing me just like random it was like kind of like south florida stuff at the time and then also just kind of like melodic hardcore stuff because that's like what he was into i guess um but yeah so that was like my first exposure to that and and it just kind of gradually happened where i was like you know it doesn't happen overnight where you just wake up and be like fuck for me at least i didn't wake up and say fuck all this other shit i just want to listen to hardcore it was like a really gradual thing it was just like my interest in the other stuff sort of slowly waned as i started to realize how much i liked hardcore and how much different hardcore was out there and that was like a thing for me too was like which i still feel like impacts like the way i am as a hardcore kid today is like he was showing me stuff like verse and have heart and shit like that but he was also showing me like you know know the score and i was like um getting into like all different types of hardcore which still like i said to me to to this day is like i love so much wildly different types of hardcore like i don't really understand the the kids who are like so hyper fixated on just being like I'm, this is like this is the type of hardcore that i like i think that comes from being shown different stuff early on instead of just one type of thing I love you. You mentioned the victory samplers because I know at that time samplers were still kind of the way that labels would get a lot of the different bands out. And I, I be as I broached the, the topic earlier, how soon into finding out hardcore stuff were you getting hip to all the eulogy shit going on at that time? Um, so it was kind of like, I, I probably was, you know, I was listening to, I was listening to, like I said, like Bean and Comeback Kid and Know the Score and like some random bands like that, probably, probably for like a year or two. And then the first hardcore show that I ever went to was um, Mongoloids, Kids Like Us, Know the Score, and Furious Styles. And I honestly, I don't even remember how I heard about it. Maybe, honestly, maybe that guy Peter might have told me about it, but uh, that was the first hardcore show I went to. Um, it was fucking insane. I remember being scared shitless and just being like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then immediately being like going up after the show and like kind of like hanging out around the door and like trying to find flyers for more shows coming up which I did. Um, I found like a paper flyer that had some more shows coming up and that I, I guess like, I, I really don't even remember how I found out about that show, but that was the one, I guess in, in that moment when I was like seeing, like that was the first hardcore show that I went to. And I was like, Oh, this is really, really like, I get it now. Like seeing it, that was probably the moment that I was like, 
oh, I, I don't give a shit about this other stuff nearly as much as I thought I did. Like, I really want to just keep delving into hardcore. Nah, it's fucking awesome, man. I love hearing that. And so yeah. you've been in so many fucking bands. When was like the first, probably the earliest, we call it like legit or established band that you had? Like, like not like, oh, I was just fucking around with my friends, but what was the name of the first kind of like, I don't, I don't have to be super serious, but like the first time you didn't feel like a little kid fucking around with your friends in a band. Um, I mean, the first time, I guess it would be, uh, I was in this band called losing it when we were like, I was like a senior in high school when we started it, I think. Yeah. Probably like a senior in high school, but that was like the first band I was ever in that like went on tour. That was the first band that I ever went in that had like, you know, we, we like, had like somebody hit us up and be like, Oh, I want to like press, you know, you know, we ended up doing a seven inch and an LP, but like at first it was like cassette tapes, which at the time seemed like this mind blowing thing that like somebody wanted to do cassette tapes for one of our bands. Like that was crazy. But that was the first one that I, that I feel like wasn't just, you know, we're just like dicking around playing like whatever bullshit, not real shows, but like, you know, we toured, we had merch, we had fucking records. And that was the first time when I, I felt like I was like, oh, this is like actually something like legit. This is not just like, you know, kid, kitty bullshit. I remember seeing losing it on the flyers down there and having to check it out. And then uh, getting hip to the idea that you guys were just like mad young and being like, oh, that's cool. There's a young band out there. How was it being like in high school? But in a band that's like starting to do shit, was it weird? Did did the kids treat you different, or you were just like only cool when you played the shows, and the kids in high school couldn't give a fuck? I mean, I think that. So I, I was like, I guess it was like, honestly, it, I feel like it kind of flew under people's radar. It was like a thing where, like, I was like, I mean, like I said, it was like the very end of me being in high school that we were in this band that was like actually starting to you know take it a little bit more seriously but it was kind of just like to me it was one of those things where it was like i didn't really the people who knew knew you know what i mean like the people who were my friends who like liked the same stuff as me they got it and then the people who weren't going to get it anyways i didn't even care if they knew or not i didn't even want them to fucking know about it i didn't want to have anything to do with them so i kind of just like it's not even something that i really like put out there for them you know what i mean i i always uh, think about my own high school thing because I was in a high school band, and it was mm. so weird because like some group and, it, and it's like um you know just like any other movie or whatever, like the long hairs and that like that crowd were like, this dude's cool, he's in a band, but the rest of the school could <laughs> give a fuck less, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, it's that's like, kind of how it was. And I kind and I kind of feel like most people who are in bands aren't like really accepted by 90% of the kids in high school. They're kind of like fucking dickhead, you know, like yeah. who cares about your stupid band? And uh, it, it was a definitely a formidable thing. Now, what did you guys do with losing it? How did you start doing it? And then like, just give me a quick little, like, you know, little bio short history on the losing it and like, kind of like where it was and what it took you to your next thing. So, I mean, we had, me and my friends were like, kind of, we were going to hardcore shows at, at this point, hardcore shows had started happening at that place, the talent farm. Um, 
it was sort of this like weird situation that was like kind of birthed out of necessity where like um that place the talent farm was really struggling financially um and the other shows that they were doing weren't really pulling in any money um at the same time uh my friend john who he runs break even booking he's been booking hardcore shows in south florida for years he's like my old head he he like you know put me on a lot of the stuff that that you know i like and and he's been a friend of mine forever um he had done a show there like at some point it was uh power trip before they were called power trip when they were called balls out and uh somebody had put a hole in the wall during like the whole the, the, the spot just got like fucked up and the dude who ran it basically was just like all right i'm not doing hardcore shows here anymore I don't want to do this. And this was some years before hardcore shows started happening again there. But anyways, he basically was like, I'm in a bad place financially. I can't, I'm not really making money off these other random shows anymore. And John, who was booking the hardcore shows at the time was like kind of running out of spots to do hardcore shows. At. I mean, you know how that goes. You book hardcore shows places and at some point maybe they get fed up and they don't want to deal with the bullshit anymore, whatever. So it was kind of this thing out of necessity where it was like, they, you know, they kind of needed each other. They started doing shows there. Um, and it was in Pembroke Pines and losing it was like the, the hardcore band from Pembroke Pines. So we had met John and John was just kind of like, you know, you guys are from around here and I, you know, you guys come out to all the shows that I book here. And you know, I'm sure he thought losing it sucked. I'm sure he didn't think we were very good, but he saw that we were like excited kids and started throwing us kind of opportunities to play on like, you know, it's not even like at the time South Florida was really getting bigger hardcore shows yet, but when hardcore bands would come through on tour, he, he, we were kind of always one of the first bands that he would ask to play. Um, and it, it, it sort of became this joke that we were like, we were like the house band for like all hardcore shows. We pretty much just like opened whatever hardcore shows, uh, he would do there at the talent farm. And, um, so through that, we kind of like met other people in other bands because they would come through on tour and play and losing it would open the shows or whatever. And uh, so we met the dudes in that band Truth Inside because they were from Florida. And like at the time, me and my friends, the, the landscape of South Florida hardcore at the time was like everything was really, really heavy. Like everything was like, like the, the generation older than us, it was like they were really into like just like hard shit and like heavier shit and me and my friends at the time like we liked that stuff but we were also really into like well you know we were super into like locking out stuff and you know we loved floor punch we loved like youth crew shit and so we were kind of the only band doing that in our area and so that being truth inside they were from another part of florida and they were like a similar band so they were you know they were super like into like you know just like late 80s straight edge hardcore um super classical like youth crew type shit so we kind of linked up with them and they had like already toured and stuff and they were like hey do you guys want to go on tour and, and we were kind of like we, we don't really know how to do that man like we don't we don't know we don't know how to fucking tour and uh dan who sang for truth inside who also ran that label life to live records was like don't worry about it i'll book the whole tour i'll put out a seven inch for you guys and that's kind of how and on that tour that was the first tour i ever went on and it was like a it was one summer, it was a full US tour. And I met pretty much everybody that, you know, I met so many people that I would go on to like, you know, when I started doing other bands later on down the road, 
I remembered those connections and that's like how I'd get shows booked and stuff. So that, that band and that tour was like very instrumental in, in leading into like, you know, bands that me and my friends would do in the future for sure. I know I used to get an um, email here and there from Dan and I like to live records. I was familiar with them, but not so much with the band, but um, a couple of times I think they were trying to route through, but it was a weird time for us with venues. It was hard to get the same shows going and uh, we never got to link up with them guys. Now, something I, I didn't skip on, but since you hadn't said the words, I figure here's a good time to ask. At what point did you start? Because you mentioned Youth Crew. At what point did you get exposed, not just to the bands from Straight Edge Music, but what time in this whole timeline do you did you think you were even thinking or like when did you claim being Straight Edge? So I have never, I've never drank alcohol in my life. Um, I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never been high. Um, even before I had any idea what straight edge was, it was just like, I just always knew that that wasn't really my shit. I kind of had no interest in just for, you know, I, I just kind of was like, I saw the way, like when my, when my friends, when I was, you know, younger kind of started getting into like drinking and doing drugs, like I just kind of saw the way it made them change. And kind of the way they acted and it kind of freaked me out. And I was just like, yeah, I don't ever really want to be like that. So before I was ever straight edge, I, uh, I, I kind of knew that that, that kind of stuff wasn't for me. And then, um, I mean the first straight edge band that I ever heard that I was cognizant that it was a straight edge band. Um, I met this kid in high school, or I met this kid in high school. He was in my, I, I, he was in my American history class. And he ended up being like a good friend of mine and we were roommates in college, but he was wearing uh, a straight edge shirt. And I remember being like, yo, what, what, what is that? And he was like, oh, it just means I don't, I don't drink or smoke. And me being like, oh yeah, me either. And him being like, I don't remember. I think I was probably wearing uh, like a comeback kid shirt or a Bane shirt. And him being like, you like hardcore? And me being like, yeah, yeah. And pretty new to hardcore at that point being like, yeah, yeah. And him being like, yeah, do you like straight edge bands? And being like, oh, like what, what straight edge bands? Like what are straight edge bands? And him showing me, it's a funny combination, but him showing me throw down and have heart. So him showing me throw down and have heart, me being like, oh, cool. This is like, you know, that, that was kind of my introduction to straight edge. I didn't really get into later or older straight edge bands until like a little bit later. Um, but at first it was like the first stuff for me that put me on straight edge shit was definitely have heart and throw down, which again is a, a really random ass combination of bands. But my friend drew in our first day of our ninth grade, uh, world history class or American history class. Tell me about those bands. I think with the time you found it, it actually makes a lot of sense because have heart was starting to jump at that time. So, sure. Yeah. And I also think I also think it's cool when I hear somebody say they never did anything and they still were like, fuck it. I'm going there. That's fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah, I just I so, never uh, felt the urge. So. I was gonna ask you, so what did that feel like in contrast? Were there a lot of straight edge kids in that town? Were there I know, you know, it's always a hit or miss. Like what else was going on? Obviously the talent farm had a lot of stuff. Were you guys like the straight edge kids? Was there um metalcore? Like what was what was the scene around you, not just when you started losing it, but just in general? And like was there a lot of straight edge kids in that area or not so much? It was sort of this thing where it was like the 
so like I said, the hardcore kids that were like a generation older than us, most of them weren't straight edge. Most of them were like mad drunk at shows all the time. And they were like into heavier stuff. And like, we liked the stuff that they liked, but also it was like, I remember really like, at first it was just like me and like two or three other straight edge kids who were like at my high school. And for a while it was like, that was, those were the only straight edge kids I knew. And then it sort of became this thing where it was like, we got a little older and, and like started, I feel like you get older and you start kind of venturing outside of your, you know, when, when you're, when you're 14, 15 years old, like going 20 minutes away to the next town over or, or, you know, driving to like where the next high school over, it seems like, you know, so far away. And then you get a little older, you start like driving and you start kind of like expanding a little bit. And then it's like, you kind of realize it's like, you know, we would hang out at the mall a lot and we'd be like, we'd kind of, you know, be like me and like two or three of my friends who were hanging out. And it's like, oh shit, you know, we walk it, walk in the mall and it's like, oh, there's some other, there's two kids over there. And one of them is wearing a cruel hand hoodie. And the other one has a straight edge t-shirt on. And it's like, we'd go up to him and be like, oh shit, you guys are straight edge. You guys like hardcore. And they'd be like, yeah, you too. And it's like, you kind of start to realize it's like, oh, there's little pockets of kids like us kind of in all these little towns in our area. And we all kind of just like started our, our, our whole little squad just kind of grew and grew. And, um, so that's kind of how that happened. But I mean, it was definitely a cool thing at first feeling like, you know, that, that moment when you realize like, oh shit, there's other straight edge kids out there. It's not just us. It was, it was a cool feeling for sure. Fuck yeah. Do you remember your, your biggest show at that time that you saw? Like what was some of the bigger shows that you saw at that time down there, specifically like down in your own area? Um, so, so at first there weren't really big hardcore shows at first. At first it was a lot of like, like I said, it was like shows at the talent farm that were like probably like 30 or 40 kids would pay. And it was just like whatever random like touring bands. But I remember the first show that I ever went to where I, where it felt like a big thing actually wasn't in South Florida. It was in North Florida. It was in Jacksonville. And I traveled for it. Me and my friends drove and it was trapped under ice down to nothing. Naysayer forfeit. Um, I'm trying to think of who else played. Uh, that band thick as blood from Miami played. That was the first, that was they the came first. Up here. They came up here one time on an earth crisis tour. Yeah, that checks out. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the first show that I remember traveling for it and being like, oh, there's a ton of people here. And it's like, there's, pe you know, people from, I could tell people traveled. And it's funny because, like, as I got older and started touring and started, you know, at first, like, playing around Florida, I made all these different friends in all these different cities in Florida. Because obviously, Florida is a humongous fucking state, you know. South Florida is 10 hours away from Pensacola. It's six hours away from Jacksonville. Like, Florida's big. There's little cities and scenes everywhere. So as I got older and I started meeting, people from other cities that would become like, you know, good friends of mine. Everybody kind of was like, Oh, you were at that trapped on a rice show in Jacksonville. So was I. And it was like crazy to think I was there with all these people who would go on to be good friends of mine. And I just didn't know them at the time. That's I think one of the things that when older, I mean, not older, but the, the larger shows you go to at a young age, that's some of them shows where you link with people. Just like you said, when you went on the tours with losing it, you met so many of your friends from the losing a tour. I also think some of the bigger shows you first go to 
is some of the times where you link up with friends and you end up staying friends with forever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's, it's like, it's like those formative years of being into hardcore, like it's like, I could see, so it's, it really sometimes does feel like those little, those shitty shows that I went to early on have like a special place in my heart. Even if the bands that I'm seeing now are astronomically better or, you know, it's like the shows are way more well attended or whatever. So it's like those early important shows for me, it's like when you, the people who are there at those shows with you, you kind of share like a, like a, a, a connection with them, you know? No, I couldn't agree more. I think about it. So many different people I've been friends with from hardcore, even just local to us. I can think of the first show I remember like being side by side with them or crazy shit happened. And that's like the link. It's there's always fun with the small 30 person shows and God, we came from a lot of those, but I think the first time you exposed to bigger hardcore shows is when your fucking eyes light up. You're like, Oh shit, this thing gets bigger. It's crazy. Yeah, for sure. Now, Walk me through what happens. You guys just graduate high school and you start doing losing it more. Like what your thought process once you're out of high school and you start doing the bands. What is Lennon up to as he starts seeing a bigger picture in hardcore in general for Florida and once touring starts happening more. So yeah, losing it started touring. We did a couple full U.S. tours and we would do like you know we did like an East Coast tour. Um, and at that point, I was living in Tampa going to school. Tampa was three and a half hours away from South Florida. So it was like far enough to where I could go home and still – we still did losing it. I would go home on weekends to play shows down there or sometimes they would come up and play. Um, but it was, it was far enough to where it was like a whole new scene with new kids and like a very different vibe. Um, and when I met those – I met – I started making friends in Tampa um, and that's – when blistered became a band um i linked up with the dudes who would be in blistered and we started doing that um losing it quickly broke up because everybody was just kind of you know we kind of realized we thought it sucked and everybody was kind of doing their own things and like i don't think i don't look back on it and say it sucks in the sense that like you know it's like it's my first hardcore band and like you said you look at young kids doing their first hardcore band and you look at it and it's like all right maybe this isn't the best band in the world but like you can see the potential and you can see that these kids are excited. And it's like, I see bands like that all the time where I'm like, you know, I don't love this band, but I can watch them and I can tell that the bands that these kids are going to go on to do are going to be fucking awesome. Um, and so like, I, I feel like losing it was like, I'm not embarrassed of it, but it definitely, you know, it came a point where I was like, all right, I feel like I, this music kind of sucks and I can do something better than this. Um, take it a little bit more seriously, you know, applying all the things that I've learned about being in a band and touring and shit um to the next band I do which was blistered so yeah when I was right uh, shortly like out of high school and in college living in Tampa and that's that's when blistered kind of started up and, and and took over my focus well I think the precursor is always the the basis is a covered losing it for whether you love them or not that taught you so much and also sure. got some wheels under you you know, so you got to give it its love and respect, whether or not it had wheels to kind of take you further. So what was the choice to go to Tampa for college? What was going through your head? And um, walk me through how Blister got started. 
I mean, so like I said, I, I think I just wanted to go to Tampa because it was like it was three and a half hours away. It was far enough away to where it felt like I was leaving and doing something new, but it was close enough to where I could still play music with my friends and like go to shows in South Florida. I could drive home on weekends and it like wasn't a big deal at all to do that. Um, cause like, like I said, Florida is a big ass state and in Florida, three and a half hours is really not a big deal. You just kind of do it. It doesn't really feel like a big thing. Um, but you know, after like a year or so of being like, all right, I'm living in Tampa, but I'm still doing this band in South Florida, which was losing it. I was like, I'm ready to do something up here to where we can play, you know, cause we would get offered to play shows, you know, we'd be like, oh, this tour package is rolling through on like a Wednesday night if you guys want to play. And sometimes it was cool shows. Especially at the time, because Tampa is a little bit easier to get to geographically than South Florida is. You know, it's it's in Central Florida, and so the you know if you're touring down the East Coast, you can dip down and hit Tampa, and then go back up towards Texas pretty easily without adding you know an extra eight hour round trip that it takes to get to South Florida. Um, so a lot more tours were coming through, and it was like, you know, I would get asked like, oh, you know, I started going to shows. I met the people who were booking shows. I met friends with them, and made friends with people there and got asked like, yo, you know, does your band want to play this, this, I got this cool tour coming through on like a Wednesday or Thursday night and losing it being, you know, like we're all like, you know, some of the kids, I was my first year of college. Some of the dudes in the band were still in high school. So it was like, you know, they can't drive four hours to play on a Wednesday night. And I was like, damn, I want to be in a band up here so that we can be a little bit more active and play the shows that we're getting offered to play up here. So that, that was like blistered. That was how blistered started. And like my whole idea was, like I said, I like all different types of hardcore, and, you know, losing it. We were listening to fucking right brigade and floor punch and, you know, early two thousand shit and like late nineties, like kind of like, you know, youth crew revival, but like, you know, that kind of shit. And so I was like, if I'm going to do another band, I want to go the complete opposite. I want to do something totally different. Just because, like, I I've always been the type of person where, like, I play in a bunch of bands at once, but I don't want them to sound the same because I'd be bored if I was playing in a bunch of bands at all with the same style. You know what I mean? So that was how Blizzard started. It was like, I wanted to be, I'm living in Tampa now. I want to be in a Tampa based band and I want to do something wildly opposite, different style than what I was doing and losing it. So I always wanted to know if you were attached to the bands like Floor Plunge and Right Brigade. Or did you get hip to the bands that those guys were into, like the 88, you know, straight edge bands? Like, did you go deeper into the closet of hardcore and go back further? Or were you guys mainly psyched on the late 90s, early 2000s straight edge bands? Well, I mean, for me, it was actually kind of the opposite. Like, I feel like I liked modern hardcore stuff at the time that I was listening to. And then I got into like classic hardcore, you know, listening to like late 80s stuff. And then through getting into Judge, you could say Side by Side, Gorilla Biscuits, and also like, you know, Breakdown and Outburst and shit like that. It's like getting into like late 80s bands. Eventually, then I started to get into like 90s and 2000s bands. It was it was like a weird thing where it was like, I started with contemporary stuff, and then got into the more, you know, like seminal iconic type of bands, and then kind of just started to work my way up back to where I was at chronologically. Now, um, I always wonder when kids find hardcore and it's the older it is and the younger the kids are. So it's the further placement from these older stuff. If when you're, you know, getting out of high school, if the young kids now getting at high school are excited about, 
you know, the youth of today is the Gorilla Biscuits, the judges, or if it's just too far removed because it's like older music, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I think some stuff definitely stands the test of time. And then I think there's other stuff that you, I mean, there's definitely bands along the way that have grown to be some of my favorite, favorite bands. But when I was like, you know, early on my journey of like delving, really delving into hardcore, maybe I didn't get it or didn't like it as much at first. And it was something that I needed to kind of like get some context for and like kind of learn to love and like have it grow on me. Um, And I could definitely see that for like a younger kid, like hearing certain things and being like, I don't get this at all. And then getting into more stuff that's like, you know, of that time or widening their scope of what they like and understand about hardcore. And then going back to it a little bit later and being like, oh, I get this now. Um, but that being said, I, I do think there's some things that are just timeless. I think there's some bands that like, no matter what, there'll always be a band that like any new kid can hear and be like, okay, you know, this clicks right away. So. No, I couldn't agree. I think there's like nuanced bands that you have to go deeper in the woods to really respect. But I think the most classic hardcore stuff, even to the newest person finding hardcore is going to find interest. I just had to know if it was like some kids go, Oh, you know what? I never really went past this. And I always wondered if you dug in deeper. So when you left, go ahead. Sorry. When you left, there was no more talent farm or close to no more talent farm. But did you see any growth in the South Florida scene from the bands you guys did? And then what was that like as you were moving up to the Tampa scene? Yeah, so when Town Farm closed down, it was really this big moment where it was like, all right, now we're going to see what which of these kids actually like hardcore and are actually like down now that it's not going to be so easy, now that it's just going to be right in their – like because there were kids who were coming to every Town Farm hardcore show because it was right in their – you know, like I said, the scene grew and it became this sort of like thing where it was like right in our backyard in our town and it was super easy to get to and convenient and like a place to hang out. And then when Talent Farm closed down, it became sort of this thing where it's like, well, now shows are kind of happening in like kind of cuttier places that are like a little bit sketchier or a little bit further away or harder to get to. Um, and so it became this sort of thing where like now we're going to see who's actually into hardcore and who actually just liked hanging out at the Talent Farm. And it just so happened that hardcore bands were playing while they were hanging out at the Talent Farm. Um, and so that was kind of the vibe at that time. Um, and like, I had already moved to Tampa when talent farm closed, but I was still playing in South Florida bands and going home all the time. So it was sort of this thing where I was like, I was kind of watching it from afar. Like all my friends back home were kind of like, shit, what are we going to do? Talent farm is closing. Like, you know, or talent farm is kind of falling on hard times. And like, we don't know if it's going to be there anymore. And I was sort of just like, man, that fucking sucks. But you know, kind of like at the same time I was living in Tampa at the time. So I was like, not too stressed out about, you know, you know, it sucked to lose it, but at least I was still going to have, you know, my Tampa spots and, and still be able to see shows in Tampa. Um, but Talent Farm was kind of on its last leg for a while, and it didn't end up actually closing until after I wasn't living in Tampa anymore. Um, at one point, I had decided that I, I, school was not for me, um, and I dropped out of school and moved home just so I could tour and, and spend more time playing in bands. So... When you said dropped out, you did go to school for a minute. What were you going to school for? Uh, English Lit. Damn, you went deep into yeah. the arts. Yeah, real nerdy shit. I was uh, pretty close to graduating, 
And uh, I always, I, I keep telling myself that I'm going to go back and finish just to fucking do it because I was so close. I might as well. But uh, at the time, Blizzard was like starting to do stuff. And I was just kind of like, you know what? I am not happy right now. I'm not in love with being in school. It sucks. I just kind of want to say fuck it and just really start touring and doing shit. So. All right, so then walk us through. Like, what was the deal? What were you involved in? What were the shows like? Give me the whole rundown. I mean, so when I moved home from, from Tampa and I was in South Florida, shows were like, like that was around the time Talent Farm closed down. And shows were like really weird for a minute. I mean, because we didn't really know, we didn't really have places to do shows. I think Talent Farm being such an amazing and consistent venue was a really awesome thing for the growth of South Florida hardcore. Um, but it was also kind of the, the one downside and detrimental thing for it was we had this incredible venue that was so consistent and so good that we never really had to go through that thing that a lot of hardcore kids and a lot of scenes go through, which is like, you know, you find a spot, you do like four or five shows there. It's fucking awesome. And then the spot closes down or, something happens where you can't do shows there anymore or it just doesn't work out or whatever. And then you kind of go and you find you, you hunt down new spots. And we never really had that. We like, cause like I said, town farm was so consistent. We never really like kind of learned the way to like, all right, we're just going to go find new spots to do hardcore shows. We're going to learn how to talk to these people about booking a hardcore show there. And like, we eventually ended up doing that, but like it took a while. So shows were kind of weird at first. There were few and far between. Um, we were doing a lot of shows at the drummer of losing its house. We were doing like house shows in his backyard. Um, there was this place called anonymous guitars. That was like the wackest fucking like most bullshit place ever. They had all these fucking dumb rules and like any show that they thought people were going to mosh at, they made the bands play outside instead of inside. And it was like, it was a shitty ass venue. The people who ran it were fucking herbs and it was just really annoying. But it was one of those things where it was like we were kind of desperate for places to play. We didn't really have anything else. So for a while, it was looking kind of bleak. And like I said, that was kind of coming out of that time period where it was like, well, South we, Talent Farm's closed, and now we really get to find out who's an actual hardcore kid and who was just into hanging out at the Talent Farm. But So it was weird for a minute, but things kind of started to pick up. I think at that point, the South Florida bands were kind of getting better, and um, people were kind of becoming more aware of South Florida like at that point like we had gotten some like decent like we had gotten like you know like bands like Backtrack were coming through Trapped on Rice were coming through like Cold World came down and played which like at, you know that those those tours were coming through but like earlier on when hardcore shows first started happening at the town farm like we could never imagine bands like that coming to South Florida like it just seemed insane to us um so I think I think that had helped kind of garner an interest from like younger kids, like seeing, Oh, these actual, like these sick bands that I like see online and like have an interest in or playing. And that kind of tied us over to where we found like our next, like really sick venue that be would become like a South Florida staple. Um, which was this place called the granary. Um, it was, and that was different from town farm cause it wasn't in the suburbs. It was like in the heart of Miami and it was like upstairs uh, from this tire shop. Like, I guess this dude's dad owned a tire shop in Miami and he was just like, it has an upstairs area that doesn't get used. So you guys can just do shows there after hours. And, um, that was like, once we had kind of the, we, like I said, our, our band started to get better and kids started to do zines and 
kids got into taking photos and like drawing flyers and like doing all this cool shit in this time period after talent farm where we didn't really have cool venues. And then we found the granary, which was became like the staple venue. And it was like the combination of like, now we have a sick scene with cool bands and kids doing cool shit. And we have a cool venue. And that's when shit really like got awesome. That's when shit like exploded and became really awesome in South Florida. I think. Now here's a question for you. I, I and I always believe this, especially when you're younger, you have like a tip of the iceberg kind of moment where you love bands that are like, you know, whether it's victory bands and all this like stuff we talked about with the judge shit and the four punch stuff. But I imagine when you guys are really trying to build up your own scene back up with the end of the talent farm, that that's mm. I think at least I, I'm I'm supposing this, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. I noticed that the blistered sound definitely sounds like you guys were getting hip to like morning again and being like, you know what? We're trying to have a sound that isn't that far away from that. Or was it just like contextually because you guys were psyched on all that kind of music and it wasn't just a connection with morning again and South Florida particularly. Oh, I mean, it was definitely intentional and it was like one of those things where it's like, you think about it this way. It's like you're from New York city or you're from anywhere in the Northeast really, or you're from, you know, Southern California or wherever. And it's like, you start, you, I feel like you hit a point as a hardcore kid where you're like, all right, I really, you have kind of like pride in your home scene, you know, and you start delving into really trying to research and delve into the stuff that comes from your scene. And it's like the, the, the classic South Florida hardcore bands, they, they, they're not bands that sound like you to today. They're not bands that sound like necessarily, you know, breakdown and shit. It, it is like that more metallic stuff, you know, it is morning again and culture and, you know, so it's like you start diving deeper into it and you start finding, you know, like I said, my, my friend, John, who was kind of my old head, who booked a lot of, who booked like all the hardcore shows and, and, and booked all of our bands. And he was like, you know, going to shows, South Florida shows in like the nineties and two thousands. And he was like showing me South Florida stuff from the time, like, you know, shit like Birdville Omen and stuff like that. And it's like, you really oh, yeah. start to get in like poison the well and all that sort of shit. So you, you start to get this kind of connection that it's like, all right this is a South Florida thing. You know what I mean? This like the South Florida shit is like kind of this like heavier, more like metallic leaning shit. And so that's kind of how I, I really dove into that. I mean, there was even, there was a fest that happened. It only happened one time in South Florida um, that losing it actually played, but it was like, the lineup was like chorus damnation. The first culture reunion, Shai Hulud with, uh, Chad Gilbert singing. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of who else fucking played. Uh, but yeah, Bird of Omen played and, and um, By the Grace of God played. And it was like all this like 90s shit and like metallic shit. And it's funny thinking about it now because I feel like he did that. He It was a one-time thing and I feel like he it tanked. He I know it tanked and he lost a shitload of money on it. The dude who booked it basically was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to book any anything like this ever, 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 ever again. Um, but it sucks because I feel like he did it a couple years too early. And if he would have done it a couple years later when like kids were kind of like jocking all like, you know, 90s and like metallic shit, it would have been a bit bigger of a deal. But uh, I actually met Keith Gallagher for the first time at that fest. He, he traveled down for that fest and that's the first time I ever met him. Now, I'd also say that one kind of begets the other. So you guys start digging deeper into this whole well of local shit that's super metallic and definitely resonates heavily with what the later part or the mid to late part of the South Florida hardcore scene sounded like. 
I always think that when you guys started making Blistered more popular, I saw a, like a hole in the in the time continuum open up. And then it might have just been that a bunch of kids were doing bands like this or thinking like you guys were. But I found that that was like 2015, 16. And that's when all of a sudden all you young assholes started being obsessed with all these 90 bands that were like X this, X that, really metallic. And and it was the first time in a long time that people had started listening to that kind of stuff. And I, I often blame Lennon and I almost blame you <laughs> for for part of it because I remember reading an interview with you and you're like, yeah, you know, we're more into this. And I don't know if you incidentally or coincidentally like helped influence that, but what you said about if he had just weighed it. And I'm like, I think you had to have that thing to kind of start opening up the, the, the time continuum and getting these kids to go back and look at all this stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know if I can take credit for any of that stuff, but I, I will say that one thing that was like kind of irked me about it was like, like I said, my whole thing from the get go of being into hardcore is that I liked like all different types of hardcore. And so like, you know, we would be playing, we would be playing like blister would go on tour and we would just start, we got to the point where we were like only fucking playing with like bands that were like, you know, everybody was wearing fucking poison the well shirts and everybody was fucking only listening to like shit like like you know only listening to shit like that and i was like i was out here like you know when we started blistered i wanted it to be like yeah i want to play with sh fucking bands that sound like madball and i want to play with bands that sound like youth of today and i want to play with bands that sound like striking distance you know like to me blister was just another style of hardcore i never saw it as like this separate metalcore thing and I feel like that's like sort of what it kind of became. And it really turned me off from being in blistered like big time. That was like a big thing for me and being like kind of fucking annoyed. It's like it became so homogenized and like we weren't the, the, the types of bands that we were playing with and like the types of kids that were like excited to like come out and see us. And like, I don't want to take any, like anybody who's into my bands, like that's sick that they're into my bands. Like I love that. But like, I almost felt like, yeah, like you said, it was like, I almost felt like kids were getting into like certain bands at the time, like Blizzard and like contemp Blizzard's contemporary bands, and then making this decision that like, oh fuck, bold. I don't like fucking Youth of Today, and I don't like fucking you know, Desperate Measures, and like or anything like that. Like I only like like metalcore. I only like metallic shit, and that was so contrary to like the whole thing that we were trying to do with Blizzard, which was like be this band that was like super this super out there at the time kind of style, but have it just cohabitate in hardcore with all different kinds of stuff. No, that's actually awesome. You said that because that was my first take on all that shit. It's like, Oh, this is like a band that just brings these kind of kids around who buy t-shirts, <laughs> you yeah. know, like this, is, it's not your fault, but that was a lot of the crowd at that time. And yet sure. when I saw you play live, the bizarre thing was, Blister's crowd was nothing but young hardcore kids that were excited to see you when you guys would come up here. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it, it it really like our friends got it, and and I feel like that was like a big thing was like our friends would travel. Like when we played this is hardcore the first time, um, a lot of our friends traveled from South Florida to like come like show out, and and like those kids got it. Those kids were all just regular hardcore kids. Um, 
it was just really when we would tour and play other places where I was like, yeah, it's like those t-shirt kids, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like kids who are, you know, like that, that period of time. And it was like, it's always something, you know, before it was like the metalcore shit. It was like, you know, I remember like before that it was like kids being like, oh dude, I'm going to pay fucking like $200 for like a fucking crunch time t-shirt. You know what I mean? And it's like, I feel like all, all those same kids who were like, just like wanted to wear anything with like the lock and out logo on it. All of a sudden they replaced that with like wanting to wear anything with like the victory bulldog on it. You know what I mean? And I was just like, yo, I hated that blistered was like part of this whole thing where it was just like, Oh, we only like this one style of hardcore and we base our entire personality around it. Um, and it was just like, I don't know. It sucked. I hated it. I think it's cool that you said that. And, um, I never expected that to be a hill you would die on would be yeah. like that kind of kicks. I knew that you were into a lot of different stuff, but I think it's cool for blistered fans and other people to realize that your stance wasn't like just trying to be a total revival in that way. And for those yeah. who are looking for $200 t-shirts, I'm required by law to tell you to hit up with Bob Wilson at Wilson's war <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram. If you would like to buy a two hundred dollar T shirt, he has oh, many of them. <laughs> he's got them. But this is a sponsored yeah. ad for Bob Wilson's T shirt, <laughs> T shirt Emporium. <laughs> now, yeah. it had to be something special the first time that your band was seen more than just like a regional band. Like when you started getting more notice, I mean, you eventually would be on six one three one. You guys would get to go to Europe. Like, explain the kind of differences and the exposure and access you started getting to these other places from the popularity of the band. I mean, I, I honestly do think I honestly attribute a massive funny enough that we just talked about Bob, because I really earnestly do attribute a massive amount of blistered being, um, you know, being able to do the things we did to Bob. Um, I met Bob, Bob booked a show for losing it. And, this band cold hearted from Florida that we were on tour with at the time he booked us in, uh, he got us on a show in New Jersey that was with mother mercy crown of thorns and I'm trying to remember who else played maybe suburban scum. Uh, I don't remember, but he got us on a show in New Jersey. I met Bob at that show and I was like, Oh dude, what's up? You know, nice to meet you. Thanks for, thanks for getting us on the show. He was like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And I was like, yeah, I play in this other band called blistered. And we're about to do our first East Coast tour if you want to book a Philly show. And he ended up booking the Philly show. Um, we played at Connie's Rick Rack in the Italian market. And every time I am in the Italian market with any of my friends or my girlfriend or, or whoever, I always walk by Connie's Rick Rack or drive by it. And, I'm, and I always make it a point to be like, dude, the first time I ever came to Philly, I went there. I played there. Like, it's a cool, cool little memory for me. But, I mean, Bob, I feel like Bob put Blistered on that show. Us playing Philly was like kind of like the whole centerpiece around this whole East coast tour that we did. That was like the first tour blistered ever did. And but I remember Bob being like, I mean, there was, there was definitely a period of time where it was like, it was not fucking cool to be from Florida, like hardcore wise. It was, it was like people thought of Florida and they thought of like these goofy ass fucking bands who had artwork of like fucking skateboarding alligators. Like, you know what I mean? Just like, just like stupid, like, goofy bullshit and like i feel like bob was one of the first people from a, a a hardcore scene that had like a that was like a reputable hardcore scene that had respect 
to be like, no, no, no. Florida's like not all goofy bullshit anymore. Like there's actual good shit coming out of Florida. Like Bob really truly was one of the first people. And I feel like he kind of opened the door for, for other people to be kind of like actually take a look at what was going on in, in Florida with like the new generation of bands that was happening and be like, oh shit. So yeah, I, I do attribute a, a big portion of it to, to, to Bob. Um, not, to, not to dick ride the man or anything, but yeah, definitely. No, I wouldn't call it dick riding. You're you're putting props on your friend's name who kind of, you know, saw saw some goodness in in your scene. I don't think that's dick riding at all. That yeah, that's right around the time when Bob was just moving down there. That was right around the time when the FYA thing started popping off. So it mm-hmm. all kind of it all kind of synced up at the same time. And I remember people tell me about Blizzard and me being like, I got to check this out just. Based off the name, I love the track. I assumed it was named after that, so I'm like, "Fuck it, let me give this thing a run." Yeah. And I, I remember the first time you guys playing this is hardcore and being like, more or less, like this band has something different. And I like yeah. this band is something, and, and you're totally right. Yeah, it is it. It is a thing where yeah, Florida had some goofiness to them. I mean, it was a long while between bands that were taken seriously, so it was cool to see you guys representing it. And I mean, to the point where you didn't have to depend upon a small label to release your stuff. You had people interested in you. You got hit up to go to Europe. What was your first European experience like? My first European experience was insane. Um, I was, I I feel like I, I I would love to go back to Europe and kind of experience it differently. Because I feel like I was going through a whole bunch of my, like, like, personal shit at the time where I was just like not happy and I feel like it kind of colored the the whole experience negatively a little bit honestly which is kind of a bummer looking back but I mean it was cool anyways it was it was pretty insane and it was like it was really one of those things where like you know you hear people talk about you know it's it's such a cliche and it's been beaten to the ground but you hear people talk about how like Europeans like appreciate hardcore sometimes more than American kids do and it's like you really you really see it when you go over there firsthand it's like dude these people are so unbelievably psyched and so appreciative that you know your your band is playing in their town and like they go so far out of their way to like be accommodating and like whatever so seeing that was seeing that firsthand after hearing about it for so long was a really insane experience especially too it was like kind of like a joke amongst us where it was like you know, it was like we were really doing the morning again thing because all, all, you know, like our old heads in, in South Florida ever told us was like, yeah, you know, morning again, they were not ever nearly as big in America as they were in Europe. Like those motherfuckers were straight up rock stars in Europe. So we were like, we have to go to Europe to com- to complete the prophecy of, of being the, the morning again worship band. Nah, it's cool as fuck, to be honest with you. And it kind of keeps that legacy going, you know? Yeah. Now, what were your thoughts as a whole on like what you really wanted to do with Blistered? Have you had any plans? Was there like goals you wanted to accomplish? Like, give me the rundown of like in your mindset as you're doing Blistered, like where Lennon lives these heads at. Um, I mean, my mindset at the time was very like I wanted to tour. 12 months out of the year. Like I wanted to be living on the road. I wanted to be living on tour. I wanted to be 
really, 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 really fucking doing it. Um, but I think that I don't know if everybody was on the same page. We had to do a lot of touring with fill-ins and stuff, which was cool. But I was always like a guy where I was like, man, I want the fucking, I want the real band to tour. Like, I don't like touring with scabs. I wish we didn't have to. But I understand it's like, you know, real life gets in the way and not everybody's capable of doing like a touring schedule like that. And like, um, we just hit a point too, where I think where it was like, my mindset was like, I feel like this is getting really like, really, I don't want to say professional, but like it kind of was, it was getting really professional. It was like, I was like, maybe I was a little naive at the time where I was like, I want to tour all the time. I want to tour constantly. But I wanted to do it DIY. I wanted to do it ourselves. And I didn't want to like be doing like, you know, quote unquote pro core shit. And so it probably was this kind of like disconnect where it was like at that time, at least just kind of like the, the culture and like the, the, the climate of like what being, what being in a touring hardcore band was like then it was like kind of hard to have your cake and eat it too. In that regard, like if you wanted to tour full time and you wanted to be able to make it sustainable, you kind of had to like dip into like, you know, pro core world a little bit. And so I, I feel like that was like a, a, a big thing for me too, was like kind of realizing that like you couldn't really do both. And that kind of soured the experience of it a little bit for me, to be honest with you. No, I mean, I saw it. I saw it at your time because I believe still to this day, you guys had really some awesome organic interest from fans, from people but because we talk about Procore, we're talking about people who are advancing their specific band and their specific interests or labels are linking up with managers and agents to kind of push some bands over. Like, you know, oh, you know, I know Blizzard's a thing, but this band's represented, so we have to put a fucking magnifying glass on them. But yeah. it always comes out in the wash with the bands that people still love, the bands that only are hyped up for a minute, and then when the hype doesn't meet up with everything, even the pro core people that are trying to make money off them have to abandon them for something else, you know? Sure. And I mean, to be fair, like, you know, like I said, we, we had at the time, you know, we had like a, like a tour manager and all, and all that sort of stuff. And like, I, I, I never had like a bad experience personally with like, with, you know, our, our booking agent or yeah, not a tour manager, but a booking agent, like our booking agent at the time, which is like, he was, he was awesome. Like he, he took care of us. And like, I never felt like slighted by, by anybody who was involved in any way, but like, it's sort of, we reached this point where we kind of realized like, we're either going to have to start doing tours with like bands that aren't hardcore bands. If we're, if we're, or we're going to have to like, cause you know, you can only do like, we were touring so much and we kind of like exhausted it. I feel like, so we were like, yeah, we're going to have to start doing these kind of tours that are out of our comfort zone, which is like, and I'm not, I'm not shitting on anybody who chooses to do that. It's definitely like, I definitely understand it and I respect it. It's just like, and, and maybe if it was a year or two earlier in my life or even a year or two later, I might have felt differently about it. But my mindset at the time was so just like, no, I only want to do DIY hardcore tours. I don't want to do like big pro tours. Cause we were getting, you know, hit up like, yo, you know, like, do you want to like, we can get you on this tour with like this big metal band or like with like pop punk bands or like whatever. Um, or not even necessarily getting specific offers, but just like from the late, from 6131 being like, yo, this is probably something you guys could do. And we could probably get this hooked up. We think that's like the move for you guys. 
and and me just being like, no, fuck that. I want to tour with fucking hardcore bands. I want to fucking take out my friends' hardcore bands and hardcore bands that I feel like are next up. Like I want to take those bands out on tour. I don't give a shit about doing anything that, like I said, I'm not shitting on anybody who chooses to do those kind of tours, but just my mindset at the time was just, that's not where I was at. That's not where my brain was at. No, nah, you were keeping a gangster. And I gave you guys a lot of credit for that. Cause I remember everybody who's a hardcore band wants to get sliding with the pop punk and the metalcore stuff and via this. And I, and I know that, you know, you were heavily involved in, helping your scene, helping other bands. You were deep into the DIY world. So it, it was hard. It was close to your chest, man. So I could understand why you didn't want to put your band into that world, you know? Yeah. I mean, I just feel like it's one of those things where like, once you do that, you start playing those kind of things and, you know, money changes things and, and the, the situation changes and it, it just changes the whole dynamic. And it's, it's like hard to go back to just doing small DIY hardcore tours after that too. You know, I've seen it with some of my friends and like, I don't know for me too, like blistered was making a little bit of money for sure. But like, I just like, I never, I never, it was never about the money was always like never like the primary thing for me. You know what I mean? Like I, and I was scared that if we started doing like those kind of tours that it, it would just be like, once we started getting a little bit of money, it would just become about like, all right, which tours are going to get us the most money or which tours are going to help us move the most records or get us the stepping stone to the next big tour or like whatever. And like, so I've seen it happen with a lot of my friends' bands and a lot of, you know, bands around me. And I just didn't want to fall into that. I just wanted to do shit because I love to do it. And, and, and I felt like, you know, that, that was not the, the path for us to go down at the time. And again, looking back, maybe a year later or a year before I, who knows i might have felt differently about it i might have said you know i really want to push this band and, and see where we can do it why the fuck not see how far we can take it but you know that's just really where my head was at at the time so i mean but you got to look at it like this is you doing it that way was the thing that got you into the next thing which you know is another fucking insane thing like for such a young fucking guy, man, you guys really do have, like, you have your own personal discography that is outrageous already. You know, like, somebody might get the opportunity to have one or two bands that do well, but, like, it's 2016 going to 2017, and everyone's talking about Eco Strike, and I'm like, well, what about Blizzard? And I remember, <laughs> like, why is he starting a new band? This fucking band's jumping. I was at a Bob. Why the fuck are we? And he yeah, like, it was just Dude, like, you got to put on Eco Strike. I'm like, what about fucking blistered, motherfucker? Like, I just got <laughs> loving that shit. Now you're going to put me on this new shit? Yeah, for me, it was like, like I said, it was like the combination, I think, of us hitting this wall where it was like, if we wanted to keep growing the band in the direction that it was trending, we would have really had to go the more like pro core route. And then also me feeling like on the flip side, like where we stood in like hardcore was like, we were just playing to kids and playing alongside bands who like they weren't interested in like anything other than just making like this separate scene, the separate sub scene of like all the like nineties and like early two thousands, like metalcore style shit. And so I think those two things kind of just made it for me. Like I just kind of was interested in doing some, other and I'd started playing in some other bands in, in the time between like while blistered was, 
was a band. I started doing some, you know, bands that would play shows at home when, when Blizzard was off from touring and stuff like that. Um, and I just felt like the net, I wanted to, I still wanted to front a band, but I wanted to do something that was a little bit more straightforward. So that's kind of how Eco Strike happened. Now, what do you think about the kids that would then go ahead and be like, this band's better, this was better. What about losing it? Like, it's always got to be that thing, especially with the close time between all the different bands breaking up and running into the next one. Like, where was your mindset as you're doing? I know, obviously, we've had this conversation that you were vegan and you put a lot of people on to being vegan. But um, I imagine as you start doing Eco Straight, you were really focused on not just the playing and then, you know, continuation of what you've done with the other bands. But do you think that you were more focused when you go strike to kind of continue the legacy of the way that you like the bands with some of the messages they had? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's another thing too, is like blistered lyrically, like, you know, was just like the songs were kind of like more about, you know, I mean, all the blistered songs are just, were just kind of about, you know, like whatever, hardships I was feeling like I was going through psychologically at the time. Um, but as far as like, you know, any sort of like a message or, or anything like political or social or anything in under that umbrella, there was nothing really that, that blistered was like representative of. Cause we were all kind of, there was like, you know, there was dudes in the band who were straight edge. There was dudes in the band who loved to party. There was dudes in the band who were eating meat and there was vegan dudes in the band. And it was just like, it was kind of just like we were we were kind of like all over the place and i mean just like in just our politics in general too like we were just kind of all over the place which was like fine i don't think every hardcore band needs to be political or super like message oriented i'm not one of those people who fucking believes that at all but i just felt like in the same sense that after losing it i wanted to do blistered and do something totally different i wanted my next thing after blistered to be different from blistered too you know i don't want to do the same thing over and over again i want to i want to try something new and and keep it fresh and fun so um at that point i was kind of like you know really 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 wanting to do a straight edge band too um i was playing in a the, the only other straight edge band really that i had played in before that was i played in this band called hit list um and we put a seven inch out um and that band was going at the same time as blistered um but i didn't sing for that band i played i played drums um, I wrote a lot of the music too, but I played drums in the band. Um, and that was the only straight edge band that I'd been in. I, I just loved like Xing up at shows and like fucking being psyched on straight edge. So I wanted to keep that going, but Hitlist was definitely not a positive straight edge band whatsoever. Um, quite the opposite. So I just wanted to do something a little different too and Eco Strike be something a little bit more of like, you know, something a little bit more realistic and positive as far as our take on straight edge. So I also think you know, and this is just my own point of view. I think with the the rise in the second half of the 2010s of Triple B, e Eco Strike coming out at the right time with that is impeccable. Would you agree? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I feel like Eco Strike is like a good middle ground where it's like we we kind of can appeal to like kids who liked like you know, blistered and we're into like, you know, 90 shit and like metallic shit and fucking all that, like, you know, chug core and like upstate New York shit and like whatever, but like also can appeal to like kids, you know, like the average kid who just likes regular ass hardcore, you know, which is like, you know, kids who are into like, you know, 
contemporary bands and like triple V bands and like whatever. So I, I do feel like that's kind of why Eco Strike was able to like kind of do what we were is because I felt like we kind of could toe the line a little bit. Now, what did you find different from Eco Strike touring and playing shows than the other two bands? Um, well, I mean, it's funny you ask that. Eco Strike never really toured that much. I mean, we like we did one we only ever did one tour that wasn't just like a weekender. Um, we did a California tour. We did a West Coast tour with Magnitude. It was Eco Strike Magnitude and Envision. Um, which to this day I maintain that was the best tour I've ever been on in my life as far as the shows were amazing. The tour itself just like was amazing. It was like all my absolute best friends on the tour. Um I, 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 I will probably die one day looking back at that as the, the best two weeks of my life. It was like truly incredible. Um, but other than that, EcoStrike never really toured. We did like one-offs. We did like a couple weekenders here and there. Um, ended up doing a lot of weekenders with Magnitude just because like they became like our brother band and we shared members with them and shit. But um, we never really did extensive touring. So I guess that was one big difference was I feel like EcoStrike was kind of the first band that I was in that was kind of like the idea of like flying out somewhere to play like one or two shows when I was in, you know, my bands before EcoStrike seemed like fucking preposterous. Like that seemed like something that would never, ever in a million years happen. I mean, when Blizzard played This Is Hardcore and we played Back to School Jam, we drove up and played. We fucking drove up and played and, and turned around and drove home afterwards. And like it was fine. We had fun. We loved it. But like, Eco Strike was the first band where we were like, oh, we can like fly out and play and like kind of sell enough shirts to where like we won't lose an absorbent amount of money. That's like kind of crazy. So I guess that's like a, a huge difference for for Eco Strike as opposed to those other two bands. What do you feel that was uh different? in them weekends now that you went from being like everything's new and exciting to kind of like, Oh, this is fun. Cause we're playing with our friends banded. Did you start losing some of the taste for it after time or was real life just starting to get in the way of you be able to do more with the band when you were traveling? Yeah. Just like real life was kind of getting more in the way. I, I mean, I like, I like fucking loved. I still to this day love fucking traveling and playing shows. And like, it, you know, even now it's, it's still fucking amazing, but like, I, it just got to the point where I was like, all right, you know, when, when you're like, I'm like 21, 22, living in my parents' house with no job just so I can tour all the time. Like as I, as I started to get older, it's like, all right, now, you know, I, I have rent to pay and I have a job that I like can't really just like take that much time off. And it sucks, but it just kind of is what it is, you know? No, I, I think a lot of people either never reach that moment and they're perpetually in the cycle of new band, new run. This next band's going to be the one that gets me this point. Or a lot of the majority of people who stop touring or playing, real life comes in the way. Jobs, family, girls, other ambitions if you've done as much as you've already done in such a short period. So it, it's just common common things that happen as you do this more often. Yeah. But, I mean, I definitely never lost that spark or that love for doing it. Like, even even to this day, like – um, you know, we just announced Seed of Pain is going to California and I am so fucking psyched. I haven't like toured Cali in, in a while. 
Um, and like, I, I'm just excited. Anytime I get the opportunity, if anything, now I feel like I like it. I love it more. Now that I'm not on tour all the time, I feel like, you know, I, I do a little bit less. I do stuff here and there and it kind of makes it feel a little bit more special. You know what I mean? Well, I feel like maybe you were burnt out and that's probably why you took a little bit of slower steps with Eco Strike. Like you said, the availability of flying and, um, also, because you're a fucking asshole and you can play every instrument, you've probably played for 48 bands just filling in in this whole time. This entire time we've had this conversation. I didn't even want to start thinking about every time you've had to fill in for a band and learn songs outside. You know, like it, it had to wear a little bit on you. Yeah. And I mean, it was one of those things, too, where I started to feel guilty sometimes because like even when when Blizzard was touring, I was doing a bunch of other bands back home and I could tell sometimes those dudes would get a little frustrated where it would be like, Hey, we got offered this really cool show. Can we play? And I'd be like, nah, man, I'm going to be on tour with blistered. We're, we're going to be here or there. And it was just kind of like, all right, man. And then like, you know, it started becoming this thing where like more and more, it was like, I just kind of felt guilty about it. So not being on tour constantly, like allows me to, you know, play more shows at home with, you know, different bands. And, and like I said, I like to play different instruments and I like to play, different styles of hardcore. So like every single band that I'm in is like a totally different experience for me and not putting all my eggs in one basket so much as far as my time and attention gives me the opportunity to like enjoy the other stuff more. You know what I mean? You got Envision running, uh, Carbonite, Seed of Pain. I'm trying to think of what else you could be in. Off the track. You could probably be in any band in the world. Oh, that's right. You're in off the tracks because you moved up here. Yeah. Um, fuck. So is that it? Those are the, there more. Those are the the four bands that I'm I got going right now. Now that Eco Strike's done, and um, Envision is now three fifths Philly. So we're like, you know, I feel like Envision is really, and we're about to we're actually recording a new record uh, this weekend. So we're we're trying to. I think Envision's probably going to be the band that we're like kind of pushing and being the most active. Um, but Seed of Pain's got some stuff going on and Carbonite 2, we're going to record a new record and it's, and off the tracks is like got a bunch of shows coming up. So it's, it's cool though. I feel like I'm splitting my time equally between all, all those bands instead of just one being the, the kind of hogging up all my time that I got. Envision's playing that dope show. You guys are opening the first Philly show for the two California takeover shows, man. I'm fucking excited for it. Yeah, I'm I'm very very fucking excited, and we're we're trying to time, we're trying to time everything, um, so that our new record will drop, like right before that show. So we'll have some new material out and everything. Um, hopefully it all works out. Obviously, uh, we've played off the tracks on this podcast. We've talked about them. We've talked to Bob off the tracks. Exciting new Philadelphia hardcore band. Um. To be honest with you, Carbonite, that first set was fucking hard, man. You guys have played a show, and I talked about it again on the podcast. You guys played that show in the freezing fucking cold at Philly Mocha with Live It Down and Simulacra and Hangman. Yeah. Dude, Carbonite had some fucking balls, man. It was hard. You did, And I told you, you did a good job up there first set. No fucking. I like that you have some people who, you know, some people who are instrumentalists first, it's hard for them to get out of their shell singing. But I don't see that when you're on fr- when you're up front. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, Carbonite for me is like definitely um, 
Like I like, I love singing for EcoStrike, but like I said, you know, everything I do, I want it to be different than what I was doing before. And so like, you know, I had, I had fun singing for Blizzard for a while where it was like a, a, a moshier band. Then EcoStrike's obviously not like that. So, you know, when we went to do Carbonate, I was like, yeah, the next thing I do that I, as far as band that I front, I want it to be different. I want to fucking, I want it to be not like EcoStrike. I want the vibe to be different. So I want it to be like, I like, I like, you know, during EcoStrike, it's like a lot of, you know, singing along and diving and you know people piling up and shit and during carbonite i'm like i like to see fucking hard ass dancing during carbonite nah I, I couldn't agree more in fact i think um the hard dancing was definitely a place for carbonite now some people put hard nails in coffins when they get rid of a band and other people go oh you know we'll put us away for a while what was the need for the final show declaration with this previous last weekend show, which was the, you guys were the, the big finale of the first from within record showcase. Like what made you decide that you needed to say goodbye to ego strike entirely? I just, I personally feel like I'm of the mindset that I, my bands, I would rather go out with a bang than overstay our welcome. Um, and you know, you could definitely make the case even that Eco Strike definitely did overstay its welcome a little bit. I mean, we haven't prior the last show we played prior to that show was um I believe was uh This Is Hardcore. The the last This Is Hardcore that happened. So we you know, we it'd been a while since we did anything and we kind of were just like, you know, we were probably never gonna play again just because like some of those dudes are in magnitude now and, and we're kind of spread out all over. You know, we, we have members who live in Brooklyn. We have members who live in South Florida. We have members who live in North Carolina. We have members who live in Philly. So it's just like, it's so all over the place that I didn't want it to be this thing where it's like, you know, who knows when we'll ever get to play again and just kind of leave it open-ended. I wanted to put like a, a good, hard, like, like you said, a hard nail in the coffin give people like, yo, you know, the opportunity, like, yo, this is our last show. If you want to see us one more time, this is come do it. This is when it's going to be. And, um, I just feel like for me personally, that's, that's a better way for a hardcore band to go out than to just kind of drag along. And, and there's some bands who, who stick around for a long time and they keep it fresh and they keep it moving. And, and that's, and that's cool if you can do that. But for me with ego strike, it's like, I don't know what the fuck we would have done next. That would have been good. You know, like I feel like I have to be real with myself and, and know that, you know, know sometimes you're in a band and you're like, all right, this band has run its course. This band's done what it was here to do. And we and, and we we can just bow out now and, and just kind of keep it moving and, and give that space to, you know, whoever, whatever bands are up next, you know. No, I think that's a cool way to approach it. How did it feel stepping up on the stage and how did it feel stepping off stage after that set Saturday? You know, I thought it was going to be a lot more emotional than it was. I don't know. It didn't really, it just felt fun. I, I think I was just so happy because like all my friends traveled from back home and had a bunch of friends from all over. And, and that was like, really that, that whole show in general was just like all my, all my fucking friends in one place. And I was just, I was just so happy. I wasn't really thinking about, you know, oh, it's, it's over. It sucks. Like I just, to me, it was just, a, it was just a, a fun, a fun asset. Um, but like honestly, I I also like I enjoy playing drums more than I enjoy fronting a band, so I I feel like sometimes singing for Eco Strike was a little bit uh, kind of 
not pressure, but like, I don't know. It was, it was like a thing where it was like, I don't want to say I'm relieved that it was over, but it, it was, it was a good, it was a good time while it lasted. But now I, I can focus on things that I think I am going to enjoy a little bit more. I mean, just looking at not only positionally, you're in the front of the crowd. Everyone's grabbing mics. Everyone's looking at you. But via this, drummers doesn't do the right thing. The whole song's fucked. So yeah. there's equal but separate pressures in this in this contrast and comparison between the two jobs, you know? Yeah, for sure. I feel more comfortable behind the yeah. kit. I feel more confident in myself as a drummer than I do fronting a band, personally, but... I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you're a jovial dude, super talented, but this is the longest you and I have ever talked because you're not really a giant talker, at least not to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I can be once I, I – I'm definitely not at first, and then once I get out of my shell, you know, but, yeah. Well, you're going to be getting out of your fucking shell now because, like I said in the beginning, you're a Philadelphia fucking hardcore kid now, and uh, I, it's impossible to – it's impossible to not – talk about the fact that you moved up literally in the middle of the pandemic so uh as much as i hate talking about that fucking topic i gotta know how you felt moving up here and how do you feel now oh dude it was fucking crazy it was like dude when we moved up man it was it was march of of uh 2020 so it was like literally like all this shit was kind of happening ground zero of the pandemic (laughs) yeah man it's fucking insane i put in my two weeks at work and like all my coworkers were like coming up to me, like as you know, the last couple of days and being like, man, that really sucked. We had already signed a lease on an apartment here and we had all taken our, you know, taken job offers here. And it, all my co- coworkers back home being like, man, that really sucks. You guys aren't going to move anymore because of this shit. And we're like, nope, we're, we're still doing it. We're still moving. So it was, it was like, it was really fucking crazy. But I mean, honestly, it was like, honestly, I feel like it made it a little bit better because it was like, I feel like I would have been bored as shit excuse me bored as shit back home stuck in the house in this fucking monotonous bullshit but like because i was like in this new place um it was just like i mean even though everything was fucking shut down it was like i could just walk outside and just walk around and it was like all this new new and different shit and it was like a new setting and a change of pace so i honestly i feel like it helped it really helped me keep my head up through like you know, what obviously was like a weird and like depressing time for a lot of people. What are you looking forward to now as a Philadelphian and the world is opening back up? Like, what are your goals? Why did you move up here in the first place? I mean, I just was like, I'd lived in South Florida for my whole life besides moving to Tampa for school for a couple of years, but that's not much different. I just wanted something different. And I have a lot of friends up here. Um, it's, it's a, cool ass city with like you know just like i just i just feel like you know i I was ready for a change of pace and it just kind of made sense for me as far as you know the things that i'm into philly is like really cool for those things and it's like you know I, i have friends in new york city and i have friends in baltimore and i have friends in dc and i can go visit them pretty easily from philly and um yeah it's just it's just a it's just a a city that i feel like has a lot to offer for the things that I am into and the things that I enjoy. So, Well, for me, when I look at everything that you've done, I have to wonder, what do you think some of the biggest things you've taken away from all your hardcore experiences? And 
do you have anything you want to do on part on people in different facets of the bands now that you're in this age of saying like, you know, I, I mean, this story starts with you almost 10 years ago. You know, we talk about losing it into all the other stuff. Like in the last 10 years, you've been a very busy person in hardcore and you've done a lot of cool shit. So give me some thoughts of things that you learned, some things that you would tell people and just your overall, if you had to like explain like what hardcore has done for you and where are you going now after all this? Um, I think that the, the most important thing that I can stress is just like, okay, two really important things that I can stress that I've learned through hardcore that I like, I can apply to being a hardcore kid, especially apply to being in a hardcore band is one, just like be yourself and do what you want to do. And don't worry about, you know, like it sounds so cliche, but there really are so many kids out there who are like, oh, this is like kind of what's popping now. So we should do a band like this or that sort of thing. And it's like, just do what you want to do. Cause I mean, there's definitely times when like, you know, I felt like me and my friends were the only people in the world who were really, you know, vibing with certain things. And it, and it really felt like, you know, we were like, oh, we're going to do this kind of band and be into this kind of shit. And it's going to be awesome. And we're going to be the, you know, there's not a lot of people doing it, but it'll be something fresh and fun and exciting. And like that, I feel like speaks volumes to people, you know, like I love every type of hardcore so much. Um, but if there was just every band sounded like one specific thing, I would fucking want to blow my brains out. I'd be bored as shit, you know, like keeping it new and fresh and refreshing is like definitely one of the most important things for like hardcore as a scene and as a style of music. And I think by not being concerned with what's popular at the moment or what's cool at the moment and just doing what you want to do, that's how we get like fresh stuff. Um, and then I guess the other thing that I feel like has stuck with me is like you play in bands, you go on tour, people start paying attention to you. Um, don't ever forget about the people who put on for you first. Um, it's so easy to get caught up with shit and it's so easy to you know, I've seen so many people, you know, get egos and like big heads. And I feel like that ruins scenes. It ruins bands. It ruins people. So just like, you know, it's, it's, I feel like it's really important to remember like that kid who fucking emailed you and was like, Hey, I love your band so much. Come play my fucking podunk shithole town. And you fucking route a weekend around it. And like, you know, you go play in this fucking town, not having any idea how it's going to be. And it ends up being fucking sick. Cause like that kid who booked you there, they're excited about your band and they get all their friends excited about your band. Like don't fucking forget about those people. Like th those people were there for you from, from jump. And it's like, those people will be there for you when like, it's not fucking necessarily cool to like your band anymore. You know? No, I couldn't agree more. I feel like the problem and you touched on the two different spectrums here is the band makes kids yeah. popular. And then the band projects them to be somebody bigger than the smaller average kid. And honestly, yeah. without the average kids, without the small towns, without the places that you've never heard of that buy your fucking CDs, none of this shit happens. And so when a band takes the time to recognize and say, Hey, you know what? We don't know about this kid's town, but let's go fucking do it. It really shows the value of the connection between the kids and the bands. And, and I see it a lot and I, I couldn't agree with you more. There are so many people especially younger folks that are way too focused on the ego 
They get way too focused on the blue check, the social media, all these things that are irrelevant. If it's like, who the fuck cares who likes you on the internet? Yeah. If you're too cool to play a, a place because you don't know if it's good for your numbers or your reputation, then you're in it for the wrong fucking thing. Yeah, for sure. 100%. So you, Bob Carter, you guys are like fucking assholes in the way that you guys find these bands before anyone else does. So it'd be impossible for me to have a two hour conversation with you and not have you tell us about whatever you, whatever the new bands that you think people should be aware of. Oh man. Um, so fucking up. you fucking up. You didn't practice. You didn't, you no. didn't research it. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, off the top of my head, honestly, off the top of my head, there's this band from South Florida called moment of truth that Carter just put out their recent release. Um, they are, you know, those are my, some of my best friends in the world, but even personal bias aside, their new record is fucking awesome. It's, it's heavy, but and like mashi in a way that like doesn't sound cheesy. It's just fucking crazy. Um, uh, the dude Burke who plays guitar in that band also plays guitar in Seed of Pain and Envision. That man is he plays in Be All End All as well, which is another band people should check out. Um, but that man is a fucking lunatic. He's the most insane guitar player I've ever met. He's a musical genius. So uh, Moment of Truth is definitely a band to check out if you're into like they're 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 really big nerds about like um. Bands like Dying Race and Numb and shit like that. All those like Japanese beatdown kind of bands. Like they fucking nerd out over that shit. Um, so and they do that style really well. It's like an homage to those bands. Um, all of the Scottish bands that are coming out right now on Northern Unrest Records. Uh, so Despise, Declination, uh, Demonstration of Power. Those bands are so fucking good. Like I cannot stress to you how good I think those bands are. And they, they do like hard, hardcore in a way that's really different and like musically smart, but not so musically smart that it's like, you know, getting into like territory where it's going over anybody's head. Like it's just, it's just fucking perfect. Um, who else? I really like last straw from Wilkes-Barre or, uh, from Connecticut. Sorry. They're not from Wilkes-Barre. Uh, they're from Connecticut. They're a fucking sick ass band. They're doing like, uh, just like, you know, like classic youth crew, like, and I feel like it's pretty refreshing. I mean, if you would have asked me close to a decade ago, I would be like, I don't want to hear any more bands that are doing this style. It's beat into the fucking ground. Um, but right now it's like so fucking different and refreshing. And, you know, I, I fucking love to see that. So, uh, I don't know. There's just so much good shit. I fucking love Simulacra. Um, Honestly, though, out of all that stuff, if I have to say, check out one band, um, Almighty Watching. Uh, Almighty Watching 7 Inch is my favorite hardcore release in a really fucking long time. Uh, they sound like Burn. It's fucking incredible music. The song on the One Scene Unity comp is also fucking incredible. The song on the Triple V comp is fucking incredible. Um, they're a really new band, and I feel like they're just going to continue to get better and better. Um, they're, they're a perfect fucking band, Almighty Watching. Now, what do you do to stay fresh? What do you do to stay so into it with the last 10 years and how involved you've been in hardcore? Like, you know, for someone who's like, oh, I feel so burnt out. Like, I know you play in other bands. You have so much more musical depth than what you've even just scratched the surface on here. But before we go, what do you think you do 
to stay excited and stay fresh for hardcore and keep the spirit alive in your head where you're talking to these young bands. Like, what do you do to keep you happy and loving this shit so long? Um, Just not, not write things off and not like judge a book by its cover. Cause I know I've been guilty in the past of seeing something and making, you know, like a judgment call for sometimes stupid fucking reasons. You know what I mean? Just, just get it in my head before I even see a band or listen to them. Oh, like I get it in my head that it's not for me or that it sucks or whatever. And then I see them and, or actually take the time to sit and listen to them. And I'm like, Oh, this is actually fucking awesome. And you know, I have so many friends who do the same thing. They're like, ah, oh, this shit sucks for this, that, or the other reason. And I'm like, bro, just fucking watch them or just fucking listen to the song. And then they're like, oh, yeah, that's fucking awesome. So I, I feel like just, just you know, keeping an open mind and and just not not making any sort of assumptions about things before you hear them. I couldn't agree. I am very much like that. And I say, I don't think I'll dig this. But when I see something live, I also sometimes don't make an opinion on some bands until I see them live. Because I'm like, I'm not getting it. Maybe live it's something different. I can't tell you how many times something live has really made me go, oh, fuck, I actually get this. Okay. Simulacra was oh, like that. Sure. I'm like, I don't really care about this. And then I see it live, and I'm like, oh, no, wait, this rips. Okay, I get it. Yeah, Simulacra is fucking amazing, but seeing them live definitely takes it to, like, the next level. Yeah, there's, there's so much stuff like that. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that I got to hear. I got to see it live before I make the, the judgment call. Because, you know, like, hard, like, it sounds cheesy to say it, but, like, hardcore really is, like, more than music, you know what I mean? It's it's just a it's a whole vibe. It's it's everything that goes into it. So sometimes I feel like you don't really get the whole package until you see it live. You know, obviously sometimes you hear a demo or a record and it immediately grabs you, but there's definitely some things you got to see it to really understand it. No, I couldn't agree more. In fact, I think it's a great way for us to kind of cap this. Is just hearing you say that and kind of continuing to pursue supporting bands in every fashion. There's a lot of people in hardcore who play in a lot of bands, a lot of people self uh, grandize and a Mm. lot of people put themselves in the spotlight. I've never seen that from you. In fact, I think you're kind of like the lucky kid whose talent gets them in the spotlight, but you're not looking for the, you're not looking for the spotlight. You're just looking for that little bit of a moment where that song hits and some kid takes the mic and it makes you happy. And I do believe earnestly that you love hardcore and it's one of the most endearing things about you. I think is that you're unassuming. You're not out there trying to be like a pit hero or a scene King. You're just out there loving hardcore. And I think that's why you've had so much fun doing it. And I just appreciate all the things that you've done, everything you said here and everything that you're going to do now as a 100% Philadelphia hardcore person. Oh yeah. Thank you, man. That that means a lot. I, I, I definitely feel like, Everything that I do hardcore wise, I do for the love of hardcore and, and any spotlight that I ever get, the first thing I try to do is just feel like I just want to put over the other people that I think deserve it. That's like anytime I get hit up to do interviews or ask about things, I'm just always like, you know, I just want to shift the spotlight onto like newer bands or younger kids who I think are doing sick shit who, who deserve the recognition. So. Nah, I, I couldn't agree more. Before we roll, we always say the same thing. Make sure you shout out how people can t- get in touch, what you want people to reach you at, and anything like last closing thoughts. Uh, at this point, pretty much every band I play in is uh, being represented by uh, Mr. Sig himself. 
through From Within Records. So any of my band shit that you're interested in, Seed of Pain, Envision, Carbonite, um, Off the Tracks, literally all four of those bands are From Within Records bands. So uh, anything you want to know about what those bands are up to, getting in touch with us about booking shows or what we're doing next, uh, hit up From Within Records. Um, Mr. Sig, he's like our, uh, you consider him our unofficial manager for those bands. So. Nah, Carter's an awesome guy. His jujitsu is better. His haircut, I don't know about. But dude, um, we gotta get him a fade, man. As much as you other guys, we gotta get nah, him a haircut. We're gonna get, make that kid a skin. Nah, we're gonna get this motherfucker shaved down. We're gonna hold his ass down. We're gonna <laughs> give him a no fucking no clip fucking shave down. Put some fucking boots on this kid and make him a man. <laughs> I love that. Well, listen, man. Thank you for everything. I look forward to years to come of many projects and many good times. And we got to go out and break some bread. Now that you live in Philly, thank you for your time. Thank you for that last show. And thank you for everything you've done for hardcore in giving South Florida kind of a resurgence and just building bands up and just keep going forward. It's fucking fantastic. Hell yeah. Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Nah, man. Congratulations on all the things you've done and everything to come. Thank you, dude. Well, there you have it. Lennon. Lucy, kid's been playing music before he can even fucking remember. The stuff that he's done has changed the overall output in Florida by so much. South Florida, Tampa, a lot of shit happened because of Lennon. And he's such a calm, humble person. He just loves hardcore, man. And sometimes we talk all these old school guys. It's great to talk to these young guys who are excited, fresh, Still got it after 10 years and doing all this shit. Not like this. Did it all. Don't need to do it again. I'm on to the next thing shit. The kid's fantastic. I'm glad he moved up to Philadelphia. Looked at many years and many new bands from the kid. Make sure you're checking out the Rule of Three podcast. Got a new episode. Dropped Tuesday night. Rule of of Three episode number 11. Richie Crutch from Wisdom and Chains does Post America podcast. He's a host. OG Jeff Gavin, a host of Broadsheet Breakdown, is also a host with myself, three podcasters, three friends getting together, bullshitting, politics, bullshit about punk rock, arguments, jokes. It's kind of fun. It's a little bit looser than this one for sure. Check that shit the fuck out. In the end of the episode of that podcast, I threatened an uprising against Broadsheet Breakdown if they didn't have a new episode, but apparently before the uprising began... They recorded a new episode. It'll be out this week. Support Broad Street Breakdown. Support Post America Park Hard <laughs> Post America Podcast. Support From Within Podcast. Support the Wasted Radio Podcast. Support Hardcore Podcast in general. Hoya's got a podcast been going on longer than most of us. Hardcore is alive and well in the podcast. Terror Zone Podcast. There's so many of them. Jamie York Show. Make sure you're listening. Make sure you're supporting. Make sure you're going to phillyhcshows.com. Keep listening every week for updates on This Is Hardcore right here. Thank you guys so much. Peace.